Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 586. Releasing February 9 in theatres across the US is Out of Darkness, a survivalist horror thriller set 45,000 years ago in which a tribe of old Stone Age explorers find themselves hunted by a mysterious creature. An intense and absorbing historical horror that features fantastic imagery and potent commentary out of Darkness also marks the feature film debut of director Andrew Cumming, who I'm glad to say joins me now on the podcast. Andrew, how are you today? I'm well, man. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Just doing my research into your film Out of Darkness, which some people might remember maybe in the trains, uh, trains was originally called uh, The Origin, uh, before Bleaker Street uh, pick, picked it up and there was the title change there. Um, from what I understand, the um, Andrew Marr um, documentary, um, History of the World, the reenactments, in that series, that was something that really had quite uh, the, the effect in regards to uh, setting kind of like that that spark uh, for what we're, we're seeing today. What was it about those recreations in that series that really kind of not only spoke to you as a, as a filmmaker, but as also someone where you say, you know what, no one's really delved into this uh, in quite a while uh, on screen, and I, I like to do it myself. Yeah, there was, I mean, this will be a slight spoiler, right? But there was, in fact, it's a huge spoiler. But um, there's a moment, um, there's a moment in particular where the Homo sapien meets its rival, okay, mm -hmm. for the territory for the first time, and I'd never seen that moment conveyed on screen before, and that and that sliding that evolutionary sliding doors moment, I just was like, whoa, like that. I would love to see that. I want to see that moment and how that plays out, and why did it happen? Because, you know, we, we arrived on the scene. So Neanderthals had been in Western Europe for 300,000 years. And then we came along and they were gone within 18,000 18, years. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and on that timeline, that's like the blink of an eye. And that entire species, gone. So, you know, most Caucasians in Western Europe have at least 4% Neanderthal DNA. So, you know, there was a few candlelit dinners along the way between our species, but there must also have been competition and territory and a, and, and a latent xenophobia and, you know, all these things that we encounter today and, and we will encounter in five years from now because it's just what we are as a species. And so it was all these questions and thoughts I, were having, I was having off the back of this one moment in this Andrew Marr documentary. I thought there's something to explore here and it hasn't been explored a lot. For a while and if it has it's been done in quite a cutesy way or it's been done you know it's made human beings seem primitive and unsophisticated and i just didn't believe any of that for a second i just thought you know the 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 the, the sophistication the intelligence you need to have to survive one day in the wilderness let alone thousands of years you know these people have been underestimated enough for a long time so then i read william golding's the inheritors which is this follow-up to Lord of the Flies. It's a fantastic novel. And again, I closed that book and just had all these questions and this inspiration about you can, if you can make a film set in this period, you can talk about so much about our species. Um, it just felt like such a great opportunity. And then I met Oliver Kasman and he had an idea, he wanted to do something, a horror movie set in the prehistoric periods. So that just felt like the planets aligned in that moment, because how often do you meet somebody else who wants to do something set in that time period? So, yeah, so that was it. We got to work. We wrote a three page treatment 
um, which is still the structure of that is exactly what you see in the, in the finished film. And then Ruth Greenberg, we pitched it to her. I was a fan of a spec script she had written, exactly the right tone and voice for what we wanted to do. She saw an opportunity to talk about um, violence perpetrated by women and towards women. And yeah, the three of us sort of rode off into the sunset together. That was it. The thing about this movie that I think will really speak to a lot of people, and I think the the initial concept of it that really kind of like spoke to you was that this is a film that in a lot of way has to do with tribalism um, in regards to, you know, humanity and human nature. And when you had the concept of the film, I think it was back in what, 2015 or so, things mm. were really happening in the world and it was clear divisions happening, which we could say like several years later now has even trenched itself even further deeper as well. Um, so when it comes to that kind of concept, how tricky is it tricky to try to make sure that that concept of tribalism and the nature of humanity is something that speaks to people at the same time, but you don't want it to overwhelm what's happening mm. on the screen as well. I reckon that'll be a tricky balance for you guys to try to, to find a balance. Yeah, you've, you've, you've kind of got to smuggle that stuff in, right? Because nobody wants to, you know, you go to movies to be entertained first mm. and foremost. And then you kind of try and slip the vitamins into the ice cream. Um, but certainly, I think the minute you decide to do something in prehistory, there's a certain amount of visual information. And, you know, tribalism is an it's instant, okay? When you see people in furs, that's your first instinct. But then, you know, we made a lot of creative choices to try and dissolve that barrier between you and them so you didn't feel like you were watching waxworks in a museum and sort of learning you needed to see you needed to see that they were like you know usually you go and what you watch something like a period movie and you'll sit there and go oh god they're so like us and actually what we wanted to do with this is say no 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 i'm we're we're like them nothing's mm -hmm. changed so in terms of the language in terms of their haircuts in terms of their costume, um, in terms of the way they communicate with each other and, you know, crack jokes and have like pithy one-liners to demean each other and insult each other and um, their, their their ambitions for themselves and for their families. And, you know, these are all universal things that everybody can understand. So, you know, that, that I felt if we concentrate on that stuff and tell a story about three-dimensional characters and then put them through the ringer, that helps you know, distract from this this Trojan horse that we're kind of bringing up beside uh, at the rear. The world building that you're talking about right there, potent, pivotal to that is the the language in the film. Um, something that you guys developed for the movie, from what I understand, Tola is kind of like the the, the concept for it. When yeah. it came to that part of it, was it always your intent to have a different language or maybe mix of languages? Uh, to be part of it, or was the initial thoughts, you know, go English and, and let more the scenery kind of dictate sort of kind of like communication such? I'm really curious how that kind of evolved. Yeah, I, you know, when you're making a, your first movie, in the back of your mind, you're just thinking, I hope somebody watches it. Like, I hope <laughs> people get a chance to see it. And I was worried if it was, if I would, I was worried if it was had subtitles that would, that could limit the audience. Um, and then just the more you develop the, the, uh, the piece and the more the script comes to life and, you know, you workshop scenes and Ruth and Oliver and I would act things out and speak the lines. It just became, 
you know, if you did it in English, like what kind of English? Is it like mm. a ye old English? Is it like mm. make fire? You know, it just everything just felt too cartoonish. Mm -hmm. Um and also then, you know, you're casting actors from different parts of the UK, you're casting actors from different parts of Europe. There would just there wouldn't be a cohesion. So it felt like let's we've committed this far. Okay, we're gonna make a prehistoric horror movie. Let's let's go the extra 20% and let's let's have a language. So we all of our new Dr. Daniel Anderson, who's an academic multilinguist, translates a lot of his papers from Indo-European languages into English. And we set him the challenge. Um, Sanskrit, Basque, Arabic, look at these languages and try and try and work backwards and work out what the what the 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 root language would have been, the mother tongue. And he took the script away for four or five weeks and um and delivered what you hear today. And you know, it was obviously evolved over the course of the shoot. We would prune things out to to keep lines punchy where they needed to be, to keep a certain rhythm and musicality. And, you know, there's certain key lines that I changed because quite superficially they needed to sound cooler. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like they needed to have more punch and more grit and certain things he translated just didn't have that same, uh, the same impact as if it had been in English. So, yeah, there was certain times we were doing things like that. And, but Daniel never complains. I mean, he understood it was a movie and these things are constantly in flux. But in terms of the rules of the language, the structure of it, the rigidity of it, we followed it very closely. The Maths Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Fandango. Get the latest showtimes, guarantee tickets, browse Rotten Tomatoes scores, and watch trailers with Fandango, the number one movie ticketing app. The Maths Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you love. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Gift Card Store. Australia's leading provider of gift cards, Gift Card Store offers a variety of prepaid MasterCard and Visa cards in physical or e-card format. You can even design your own card as the ultimate personalized gift. With Gift Card Store, you can gift the gift you know they will love. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. Another part of that world building, of course, is the scenery that's in the film. Um, and a lot of that has to do with shooting in the Scottish Highlands. And, you know, you guys were there for five weeks in the autumn of 2020. You had all these uh, vast conditions you're dealing with as well. Um, and as I was watching this, and I'm watching the, the cinematography by Ben Fordsman, I'm thinking to myself, Andrew, mate, what a what a backyard to be able to, to film this movie in, honestly, because... I think people kind of forget when when we talk about the great locations of the world used in the history of uh, of cinema, just how pivotal Scotland, especially Highlands of Scotland, have been. Speaking from a genre film standpoint, look at look to some of the films, The Wicked Man, Descent, Dark Soul. I mean, there's so many movies, even films that aren't genre films. Those that those Highlands and the potential that they have um, is just, I think, is just incredible. Um, what was it for you like for you to not only uh, film? I mean 
put away the, the whole kind of COVID aspect of, of as well, but to be to film in a in a landscape that not is not only breathtaking but sure at times sometimes it will be frustrating as well in just the unpredictability about what you're going to get from day to day. Yeah, I knew from an early, very early that we would film in Scotland. Not only because logistically Screen Scotland would support me and 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 help us fund the movie, which they did. And, very grateful to them for that but i just knew scotland had everything we needed it had forests it has caves it has beaches it has these wide open plains that we would sort of slightly tweak and, and exaggerate slightly in, in post and you know you're rubbing things out um that don't belong there but for the most part you can drive up a road and you know and, and pan the camera left and there's the stone age you know it's just that there's enough there are still enough areas of that part of the world that have that give the impression of being untouched, of being untamed, of being ancient and mythic and dangerous. But you know they're not. You still have to rub out the telephone lines and um, various other like hydro dams and things like that. It's not like it's nobody lives there. But um, but yeah, it was um, you know I I love John Ford. I love Kurosawa. And I love how they frame characters and landscapes. And obviously, you know, the, the Westerns and the, the samurai movies are different to this, but I still wanted to tell a horror story on a vast scale because you need to show that these people are on the hard shoulder of existence and that every day is a slog to find yeah. food, to find shelter, to stay warm, um, to just keep the will to live. I mean, God, how many times would these people have wanted to give up? Because what is why? What is this? Why are we doing this to ourselves? Um, so you know, and the Scottish landscapes give you that in abundance. And you know, it's hard. You, you know, you um, you you you're you're standing out in the rain all day and the wind and just being battered mercilessly. But it looks great on camera. You just can't fake it. It's you know, you, this isn't the volume. Um, where everything just looks a bit too clean and a bit too controlled, you you lean into the unpredictability because that's the thing that helps the performers and it's the thing that helps the audience feel cold and wet and, you know, part of the tribe. Something that I think Out of Darkness does so well is that you tap into not only, you know, in a practical sense, but, you know, almost kind of like a philosophical sense, um, what that thing within us about what is lurking in the darkness around us, what's lurking in the shadows and how our minds can play tricks on us. I don't know if you can see behind me, I've got my poster of Jaws up there. Um, yeah. And I, for me, the first hour of that movie is perfect because um, even though it's a movie about a big shark, you don't see the big shark, right? And I think something out of darkness does so well is that even though this is a movie about this tribe being hunted by something, you don't know what that something is um, for a very fast long moment of time. How, how important was it for you to make sure that, you know, not only narratively speaking, that we don't see the sharks, et cetera, but that we play into that fear that all of us have. But even to this day, if I go for a run like at nighttime in my, you know, middle-class suburb of like, here in Sydney, Australia, there's still something in the back of my mind that says, you know, don't have your headphones on. You don't know what's going to come up from behind you. No, completely. When we um, when we were writing, when, when Ruth was writing the script, before she wrote the script, we, we went on a recce up the northwest of Scotland, and the first night we stayed in the Bothy from Under the Skin. Um, I don't know if you remember that film, but at one point Scarlett Johansson's character stays in this Bothy, and um, yeah. so we stayed there for the night, and we camped out over. You know, we had a, we lit a fire and we stayed out that night. And as the fire dies and the sound of the trees, etc., you start to become accentuated. And there is there's just something within our core 
that just knows you don't go out into the dark because yeah. you know and that's just some i think that's just something we carry with us in our dna from that time period um and yeah like jaws is a great example alien i i'm an, i'm in ruth oliver and i we love alien we're hardcore alien fans and there's a lot of structural similarities in the plot to from out of darkness to alien because it's such a a great engine for the story we wanted to tell um and it, it, they do something similar and it's that old true it's, it's such a truism it's become a cliche but you know the mind creates far more than you can ever put on screen but yeah. there's also a necessity. I mean, you know, the necessity in Jaws was that the, the shark didn't work. You know, Bruce, yeah. Bruce didn't work. <laughs> um, so you know, they made the decision to. Um, it's Velma Fields, right? The 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 the, the editor. She yeah. made the smart decision to to not show it, and it's similar with our film. I mean, the monster worked because it was a guy in a suit, and you know, he he ran. We told him to run, but um, I can't show it's a guy in a suit because of what's coming at the end of the second act. So you, out of necessity, you have to keep that thing, that threat at arm's length, but then, and then that allows you through the sound design to create that presence and actually exaggerate that presence because that's how the characters would feel, that whatever is out there, it could be 10 feet tall and you know have 20,000 teeth um, mm. and, you know, and, and there's no way we can take it down. And that's what sound design and the hint, that's when you hint at something, you, it allows you and allows the audience and allows those characters to fill in the blanks and create something far more powerful than you could create with, you know, plasticine or some CGI. <laughs> Absolutely. And for everyone out there listening, February 9, cinemas across the US, out of darkness, how awesome. Andrew, that uh, this is going to be showing in cinemas as well. I think this is the ultimate kind of cinema experience with everything we talked about. The editing, the performance, the cinematography, um, just I think it's fantastic that you got a theatrical release for this. And congratulations to you uh, with your feature film debut here. And I can't wait to see many more after this. So I'm sure this is going to be a, a big thing for you. And um, yeah, congratulations to you and your team. And I uh, can't wait to talk again. Take care. Thank you very much, Mark. Cheers. Thank you.